Well, as I was watching that video, there were quite a few of those statements that were pretty convicting for me, just thinking about how telling others about Jesus is so important. And I thought, oh my goodness, that would be such a great conversation starter with some people and thinking about how do you think you're doing with this specific thing? I don't know, just one of those things I think about. But another way to start getting some discussion going is playing Would You Rather. Have you ever played that game before? Have you seen it before maybe? Okay, so, okay, hold on. So I'm a teacher. So if y'all don't talk to me, I'm gonna be like, we can wait. Do you, do you want, I'm kidding. <laughs> you can go to lunch, but it's okay for you to talk out loud. If you've ever sat up in this corner, you're probably like, I'm not ever gonna sit there again because we're all talking back and forth. It's related, I promise. But <laughs> it's okay to talk. So if you've ever played Would You Rather, some people call it this or that. And it's, it's one of those games that really gets you thinking. But if you've never played it before, let me give you the gist. So you get asked a question with two different options and you choose which option you'd rather deal with. And the kicker is that neither one of the options are usually perfect. There's always positive and negatives to both options. So it's a great way to get that discussion going in a group. So. We're gonna try one and you have to talk to the people around you. So let's try one. Would you rather finish reading a book you're not enjoying or, I told you either one is not really great, or listen to music you hate for 24 hours straight? Talk to your neighbor, what would you rather do? I already know what, I got one up in the front, I know what the answer to is this. So, so for me, if you make me listen to music that I hate for 24 hours straight, I am sunk because not only that, I have that musical ADHD, so it'll stay there forever and ever. So I'm out on that one. Let's try another one. Number two, would you rather get a text alert every time you do something wrong with details for how to fix it or would you rather get a text alert every time you do something right with no details? What would you rather do? It's okay, talk to your neighbor, I promise. What would you rather do? Some of y'all are thinking my phone's gonna be going off ding, 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 ding every five minutes, right? <laughs> Mine would be do, do do I have enough data for all of this? <laughs> for all the details that are wrong. All right, so how about this last one? Would you rather parent a child who defies you but later obeys, or would you rather parent a child who says he will obey but just never gets around to doing it? What would you rather do? Now, if you're thinking to yourself, I'm a kid, I don't have any kids. Oh, let me just tell you. We all said that. What would you rather do? Wow, I can't believe there's no parents going, Psh, that's a hard question, right? Because if you think about it, Jesus was the master of posing these would you rather type questions. And it's because I think questions, these are questions that make you think. It challenges you to evaluate your actions in comparison with what scripture says is right. 
In Matthew 9, 5, when Jesus heals the paralyzed man in front of the entire crowd and the Pharisees start thinking they're witnessing blasphemy, Jesus asks, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. Another example is in Matthew 18, 12, the parable of the wandering sheep. Jesus poses this question to his disciples as he teaches them about heaven. He says, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? I mean, you can find examples of Jesus asking this type of question all throughout the New Testament. And a lot of times, Jesus even answers a question with a question, which is what he's doing in the passage we're going to focus on this morning, the parable of the two sons in Matthew 21 through 28. No, Matthew 21, 28 through 32. That's the one we're doing. But first, so before we get there, you kind of got to know the backstory behind it because it's going to make a lot more sense as to why these Pharisees are so crabby. So let's back up a little bit and we can set the scene for what's happening. So right before this, Jesus gives this parable was Palm Sunday. Now, if you remember with Palm Sunday, the crowds were shouting for Jesus to save them. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Oh, and when they did this, the religious leaders, they got a little angry, like this guy. Okay, in my mind, that's what they look like. Maybe not. Right after that, Jesus clears the temple, accusing the religious leaders of making it a den of robbers, and the Pharisees got even angrier. And then once the temple was cleared, Jesus began healing the blind and the lame as the children started shouting his praises. Hosanna to the son of David. And the Pharisees, they got angrier still. So you see in that little pattern, got a little bit angry. Oh, now they push the button. Now we're going to get a little bit angry. And now they're pretty much on fire, right? They are angry. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a why person. So I'm reading through this and I'm thinking, well, what are they so angry about? What's the big deal here? My goodness. Well, so let's think about it together for just a minute. So first, the obvious, right? They didn't think that Jesus was the Messiah. So having all those crowds of people and then the kids proclaiming Hosanna to the son of God in reference to Jesus that was in their eyes, that was blasphemy. And secondly, maybe the, the not so obvious. Jesus was challenging their authority <laughs> and in a way that no one else dared to do. Because as the religious leaders, these Pharisees, they were viewed by the people as the scripture experts. The people looked to them as those who were most like God here on earth. And with this, oh, it came a massive status upgrade for those Pharisees. So when Jesus started flipping tables in the temple court, not only was he making that giant scene, but he was also making a really big lesson, pointing that out to the Pharisees, that what they were doing was wrong. And on top of that, he added scriptural evidence to expose their flaws to the public. 
So I think it's pretty safe to assume that the Pharisees would rather receive a text notification every time they did something right. So what did they do next? What did the Pharisees do? Well, like anybody, Jesus challenged their authority. So they were going to challenge his authority. And they challenged his authority in front of all the people. They decided to challenge his authority while he was teaching to a group of people in that newly vacated temple court. And here's what Matthew has to say about that. The Pharisees said to Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or of human origin? Now here in my mind, let's just take a little pause. In my mind, I see the Pharisees, they're like, hmm. They go over into a little huddle and they're like, what do you think, what are we gonna do here? And so they're like whispering off into the side, trying to get this together. And so when they get together, they discussed it among themselves and they said, hey, hey, if we say from heaven, he's gonna ask us, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, we're afraid of all these people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So break. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And then he said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. So in other words, would you rather admit you're wrong and be on God's side or insist that you're right and resist the work of God? Can't you just see the Pharisees right now? They're exploding into anger one more time. Just like this guy. Yes. (laughs) Oh, they are not happy. So as you can see, they're getting angrier and angrier and angrier. And now we're up to that point where Jesus is going to teach about the parable of the two sons. And as you picture this scenario in your mind, I want you to make sure that you have all the parties included. Okay, so you have Jesus sitting ready to teach with all these people around him, ready to listen and learn. But then over to the side, you also have that group of Pharisees and they're mad. They are seething and they're ready to try and trip him up again. They're ready to see what they can do to prove him wrong again. But here's what I love about Jesus. Jesus being that master teacher that he is, he just continues teaching. He weaves the Pharisee's interruption into his lesson and not wasting an opportunity of that teachable moment. He starts directing his question to the Pharisees, but teaching to that entire group at the same time. So here's what he says, saying to the Pharisees, Jesus says, What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and he went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. So which of the two did what his father wanted? 
the first, the first, the Pharisees said, because I know they jumped up and said that because they knew this was the right thing. Now, we've already discussed this would you rather question today. And if you've ever been in a place of authority over someone, anyone, whether as a parent, a teacher, a boss, a supervisor, a volunteer leader, any of those, chances are you've experienced a scenario similar to this one. And just like a would you rather question, neither one of these two options seems like it's great. And it doesn't come without a negative. I mean, honestly, I'd rather have the third option. You, the son who says, yeah, I'm going to go. And then he does it, right? However, the only one in that whole scenario that could claim that status is Jesus. And that's not the story he was going for in teaching that parable. This parable is all about repentance. Now, in the literal sense, repentance means a change of direction. And in fact, that's where the military turn, meaning about face, originated from. Now, I'm sure you've seen soldiers do this before, right? They're standing in one direction, they say about face, and then they turn around and they go in the exact opposite direction, right? So they say about face, and they're in one direction, going the other way, right? Well, think about that in a spiritual repentance. It's, it's turning away from our sin and turning toward God. It's that whole repent, right? That's a pretty powerful illustration. And interestingly enough, the Pharisees, those scripture experts who always seem to be so vehemently opposed to anything Jesus says or does, in this parable, they actually agreed with Jesus, which is an odd thing. They're quick to identify the first son as the one who did what the father wanted. However, I'm not so sure that in that moment when they stuck their hand straight up, I'm not so sure they realized the full meaning of the metaphor until Jesus kept on going and replied to them. Here's what he said. Jesus said, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Now, needless to say, if the Pharisees didn't know which character best represented them while Jesus was telling the parable, they sure, certainly should have known that explanation after that. They should have known. I mean, because here's the thing. The Pharisees wholeheartedly agreed that people needed to turn away from sin and turn toward God. They just didn't think that they needed to do it. And that's Jesus' whole point here. We all need to repent. And the important thing is that we realize it. And that's where the Pharisees were stuck. They were good with all those other people needing to repent. But when it came to them, it was a huge, not it, not me. So after, after all, in their minds, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they were among the most unholy people on earth. And they, the Pharisees, were the most holy people on earth. So to say those people were entering the kingdom of God before them was a huge hit to their egos. I mean, after all, they did all the things right. They wore all the right clothes. They hung out with all the right people. 
In their own minds, they looked the part. And since none of this John the Baptist and Jesus stuff looked like what they had been doing, it had to be wrong. And of course, it mandated that they intervene. So that's where all this, uh, who said you could do this? Who said you could go over there? Where's your paper? How do you know? Where's your training? That's where all of those questions came from. So when Jesus responded by asking the Pharisees to identify by what authority John had been baptizing people under in the wilderness, he wasn't just skirting their question. He was making a point. Jesus knew that they had interrogated John with the same type of questions right from the banks of the Jordan River as he was baptizing. And John answered their questions in pure John the Baptist fashion. I love John the Baptist. He's hilarious to me sometimes because he's so raw. He's so rugged and he's just no filter. He just going to give it right to you. So when the Pharisees huddled up to figure out their next play, I'm sure that this little scenario went through their minds as they were huddling. Here's what it says. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Good grief, brood of vipers. I mean, what did the Pharisees say to get John so riled up that he called him a bunch of snakes? Well, they started questioning his authority, questioning their authority. Listen to this account from John 1. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He didn't fail to confess, but confessed freely, I'm not the Messiah. So they asked him, well, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He's the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. 
Now, I'm sure you could see some parallels between those two, and I love how there's a perspective switch, so you get a little bit more information about what was going on, what had, what had they done to really make him so angry. It's just asking questions. Who are you? What do you think you're doing here? Who gave you the right to do this? And this is what I love about, about Jesus and how he uses parables to teach moral and spiritual lessons. Because parables, they, they require us to think, to actively make connections from the story and apply them to our own situations. He's not just telling us what to think. He's involving us in that learning. They're just like would-you-rather questions. They help us create and encourage discussion. They help link the present with the past and help us to get actively involved in our relational growth with people and with God. I mean, we may have to dig a little bit deeper to discover the lessons, but the journey is always worth the time. Now, when I read parables, my mind goes right back to good old story mapping. Now, in case you don't already know this about me, before I started working at the church full-time, I taught elementary school for 20 years. It's the most amazing thing. I started teaching when I was nine years old. I know you don't believe it. Prodigy. It's the, but I, in my last seven years of teaching, though, I was so blessed to team teach in fourth grade with my dear friend Candace. And let me tell you, she taught language arts and social studies. And I got to teach math and science. And this lady, she has such a passion for teaching reading and writing. She's a master at it. And in fact, it may seem simplistic, but when I'm reading a parable and I don't get it, and I wanna dig a little deeper, I do what she always had our students do. I use a story map, kind of similar to this one. Now, do I print this off and actually use the whole graphic? No, it's not like that, but I definitely use that type of a structure to help guide my work on paper. So first I start by identifying and dissecting the parts of the parable. I, I figure out setting, the characters, and then once I have those basic things down, I start analyzing those parts for connections. And I start asking questions about the story elements. Well, how did this happen? Well, why would they do that? What's, a, what's that for? That all helps me guide my research and find out how those pieces might relate within the culture and time period for which it was written. So then I look for connections to help uncover lesson points that I can apply to my life. Now, I know that sounds like it takes a whole lot of time. You know what? Sometimes it does. And I don't always do all of this in one sitting. But studying the Bible and spending time with God is always worth the effort. So here's how it goes. So let's do this. Let's just apply this to the parable of the two sons. So if we start by identifying the parts, the where's and the who's, we find out that the setting is in the parable of the two sons is in a vineyard. That's where it takes place. So vineyards were a common setting for stories in the Bible because working in a vineyard was a common family business in that agricultural civilization of Israel. And when you're teaching through metaphor, you have to have those components that are very familiar to people in order to help them define the parts that are new to them, that are unknown. And in this parable, the vineyard is gonna represent God's kingdom. 
Okay, so on to the characters. There's three. First, we have the father. He's the owner of the vineyard, and he represents God, our father. Next, we have son number one. He represents those who come to realize, whether sooner or later, that they need to repent. And in this parable, Jesus associates tax collectors and prostitutes with that role of son number one. The third character, son number two. He represents those who play spiritual games with God and have no intention of ever changing directions. They choose to do things their way. And that role represented the Pharisees. So once I get all of those parts together, then I start doing some analyzing. Basically, I'm just asking lots of questions because I like lots of questions. Why this? Why that? So now we're going to analyze the parts for connections, ask how, why, and what. And this is the part in the parable or a metaphor where you have to really start thinking like a detective. We have to start asking a lot of questions about the things that are familiar to us so we can use them to help us understand the unknown or new, or new concept. We've already found out that the connection from the vineyard is to God's kingdom. So now let's think about what we know about the types of relationships we have going on in this parable. And when you look at the relationships amongst the father and his sons, you can see some really important connections to consider here. Jewish culture demanded that sons honor, obey, and answer their father respectfully. So did these two sons do that? Well, to answer, you kind of need to consider how each son responded to their dad. Did you notice that the father, he didn't ask either of them to go work in the vineyard? He told them, son, go to work today in the vineyard. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. This wasn't a would you rather question for the sons. So to respond with, I will not, like son number one did, was definitely disrespectful. And although son number two's answer sounds respectful at first, I mean, he even put sir in there. Wasn't that nice? I will, sir. The fact is that there's a comma, but after both of those statements instead of a period. And that changes things a little bit. So this is where we see the concept of repentance entering the parable. Son number one says, I will not, but later he changed his mind and went. The key word there is changed. Sometime during that day, son number one started thinking about his dad, about what he had said, and how he had responded. And somewhere in all of that, he realized what he had done he admitted he was wrong. He changed his mind, did it about face, and obeyed his dad by going into the vineyard to work. Did he realize he needed to repent for disobeying his dad right away? No. Did that matter? Mm-mm. Nope. The amount of time it takes for us to repent, to turn away from our sin and turn toward God, isn't what's important. What's important is that we repent. We realize we need to do it and we do it. That's exactly what son number one did in this story. He repented and obeyed his father. So when Jesus was telling this parable, the sinners, 
the tax collectors and the prostitutes, all those people sitting in front of him, listening to him, to whom the Pharisees considered most unholy, were having these son number one types of heart changes. And as they listened to the messages being spoken by John the Baptist and Jesus, they began acknowledging their sins and turning to God, actively repenting and being forgiven. Spiritually, they were closer to God than the Pharisees because they were actually headed in the right direction. Now, other people, they just didn't get it. Like son number two. And if you think about it, both sons end up making about faces. They, they end up doing the exact opposite of what they told their dad they were going to do, but they were just going in opposite directions. But as the knight in Indiana Jones said, son number one, he chose wisely. But son number two, he chose poorly. Son number two said he was going to the vineyard. And then he decided to do the opposite and not go to the vineyard. Just saying you're going to repent isn't enough. You have to do it. It'd be like me walking up this aisle, having heard that command about face, being like, yeah, I got it. I'll do it. And I'm me just keeping them going right out those doors. It's disobedient. Can you imagine the outcome for any soldier who did that? I, I, I'm guessing it's going to sound something along the lines of uh, drop and give me 700 million, right? It's disobedient. So one last scenario to consider as we're analyzing this parable. Do intentions matter? Because there's always somebody, I'm one of them, that says, well, you know, what if son number two, like, what if he had something else come up? What if he didn't really mean to? I mean, here's the question. Did son number two lie to his dad outright? He knew he wasn't going to go, but he said, yes, sir, I don't want to get into this kind of an argument right now. Or did he just have something come up and he didn't get to it? Maybe his dinner ran over. I, I, I don't know. But what's that old adage? The road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? So in other words, good intentions will never replace obedience. And the fact of the matter remains, it says in scripture, I will, sir, but he did not go. So intentional or unintentional, both reasons lead to the same result, playing games with God. And that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. They were hearing the same messages that the tax collectors and the prostitutes were hearing. They were seeing the same miracles. They were seeing the same healings and events. They knew the command is to repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. But they did not change their ways. Just like son number two, they said they would obey the father. Think of all that training that they had from little boys. All of that training. They said they would obey. That they would do as he commanded but Jesus is letting them know in no uncertain terms that they are headed in the wrong direction. This whole parable is about two ways we can respond to God's command to go to work in his kingdom. We can seek out and listen to God's word, allowing him to mold and reflect our hearts by repenting of our sins and continuing to grow in relationship with him. Or we can ignore him turn our hearts away from him, and go our own way. So let's end our time today kind of like we started. Which one of those would you rather do?
Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for being our Father. I thank you that you teach us in these parables that gets us to actively think that you don't just always tell us what we need to do, but that you come alongside us in relationship and help us to be a part of that learning, that you take us into those places of growth and that you don't leave us there, Lord. Lord, I ask that you would be with us today as we are making those decisions and that as we're answering those would-you-rather questions, Lord, I pray that you would continue to help us grow and to stay in your direction. Lord, I thank you for being our Father, for allowing us to be your children. And Lord, I pray that as we go today, that we would continue to serve you well. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day as you go. Welcome back to the Galleon Grace Point Podcast. You're probably thinking I sound very, very weird right now. So that is why we did not have a podcast last week. Um, We took the week off for Thanksgiving and had full expectations of recording one the following week. Um, But as the week went on, the voice just got worse. So what you're hearing right now is about a thousand times better than what it was uh, this time last week. Originally, I was going to have Kim on Monday, then Tuesday, then Wednesday, and eventually I said, all right, we're just going to we're gonna have to hold off on this because it's not going to work. But uh, to uh, catch you up on a few things, um, so we're going to do kind of a compounded episode this week. Um, what you just listened to was Kim's sermon um, from the last Sunday in November. And following the interview with Kim, you're going to hear Pastor Paul's Sunday sermon um, for the first Sunday of Advent. So um, before I get into the, you know, some discussion on the sermon, um, I want to thank everybody that uh, reached out to me um, when my grandma did pass. I know last time I was on here, I kind of said we were in the getting her comfortable and uh, pain management stage. She did pass. She uh, went, went home to heaven, uh, got to be back with grandpa. I'm super thankful for all the friends and family that reached out. Uh, one of them sitting across from me, Kim, for everybody that showed up uh, at the funeral home for the calling hours and the funeral. Um, it was uh, definitely felt very loved. We felt the love. Um, I actually had quite the honor. My family asked if I would do one of the readings at the funeral. And uh, so I brought that with you to share. Um, <clears throat> and it was a reading from St. Paul to the Romans. Brothers and sisters, what then shall we say to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but handed him over for us all. How will he not also give us everything along with him? What will separate us from the love of Christ? Will anguish or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword? No. And all these things we conquer overwhelmingly through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, 
nor present things, nor future things, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. thought it was a really great reading. Um, I was uh, I was pretty happy and uh, honored to do that. Uh, it was kind of funny. So at the luncheon after uh, the funeral, um, my, I guess it'd technically be my great aunt, came up to me and she was like, you've kind of got a voice for radio. And I go, well, oddly enough, I actually do a podcast at my church. So uh, that was kind of cool. But uh, yeah, once again, I'm super thankful that everybody for everybody that reached out for that. Um, was really happy to see the turnout for Grateful Givers on Thanksgiving. That was awesome. I felt like I only went through the line to fill up trays like five times before we were out of food. So awesome experience. Um, great uh, interview with Matt and Jen on the last podcast. Um, so obviously I told you I was sick. Um, that was an illness. It was not because of Kim's favorite team beating my favorite <laughs> team on the Saturday after Thanksgiving. I was sick from that, but that, that didn't cause this. But uh, once again, uh, I want to introduce my guest. We've got Kim Lovely here. Um, Kim did the sermon, and I think that the thing that stuck out to me on the this or that sermon that you did, um, you even mentioned it during the sermon, you know, the the old notation of the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And that is incredibly true. I mean, there's plenty of times I can think throughout my life before I really got invested that I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that. I should do that. And you feel good in that moment, but then it's not, you're never fulfilled until you, uh, you actually invest your life in Christ and, um, it's paid dividends in, in my life. And I know in your guys's too. So, uh, I just wanted to know if there was anything you wanted to add that, uh, maybe you weren't able to touch on cause you know, you're kind of limited at time in the sermon. So if there was anything you wanted to add before I start asking you a bunch of questions, I don't know that there was really anything that I wanted to add. It was just, that was such an amazing experience from that entire process of writing and getting into that entire topic. And it was cool because I asked Pastor Paul, I said, can you please just give me a topic? Because I need I need some focus. <laughs> Otherwise, it takes me forever to decide on something. Right. Yeah. So he had picked that scripture and got into it and really hadn't studied it before. And I mean, I'd read it before, but hadn't studied it. So right. it was just really cool to be able to get into that and to start see some connections and all that kind of good stuff. So I it just... It, it fell into place just how God was doing it. It's always cool to watch that process happen and to be doing it while it's happening. So yeah, absolutely. And uh, I thought it was. It's always fun when you get to do like the the little game aspect too, with like the this or that, and you've got some back and forth with uh, with the crowd here at church. You know, kind of reminds me of when uh, family series is going on and we do kahoot and stuff like that. Yes. So it was a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, so. That pretty much sums it up then. <laughs> but uh, I guess uh, I'll start uh, asking you a few questions here. You know, we had Nate on a while back, so got a little bit of your history, but I was uh, I was telling him, by the way, um, keep Nate in your prayers because I think he has what I had last week. I talked to him this morning and said, hey, what's going on? He's like, oh, I don't feel good. So <laughs> so uh, keep thinking about him. Kim uh, Kim's going to get out of here after this interview and uh, make sure he's all taken care of. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so I was telling Nate that uh, you were going to be on here, and he, you know, he kind of touched on some of your guys' history, but I um, figured I'll let you start from the beginning, kind of your early life, and uh, how you, A, I know you got into teaching, how you got here, and the worship team, and all that, so kind of, uh, so we'll start at square one and work our ways up. All right, so I think as a 
maybe kindergartner or whatever, I had gone to a Bible school, and that is where I gave my life to Christ. So I don't really remember a whole lot about it. I was so little, but I do remember it was like super bright light, and I was on these wooden pews, and I was like, wow, this is so cool. You know, and in my little kid mind, it was just like, it was amazing. So, you know, that's that's where that all really started for me. And then... We, my grandma would take us to church. Um, we went to church here in Galleon, and we just went often when she always did cookie hour. Like there was always like a reception hour afterwards. Okay. So I would help her with that. But we didn't go super regularly. So, you know, we all throughout my growing up, it was really a lot of Christmas and Easter. So Yeah, just like the, you know, the, the ones where the whole crowd's there, you know, the right. ones you feel like you got to mark off the list almost. Right, yeah. right, right. And so um, it wasn't that it wasn't... Um, that we didn't talk about God, that we didn't read the Bible at home or anything. It wasn't like that. It just wasn't the same kind of focus as it has grown to be for me. And so I think, you know, as I got through high school and college, just kind of got further and further and further away. It wasn't necessarily a giant leap in one direction, but it was like that really slow slide that just keeps on going, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so I think... Probably um, I was teaching, so, and I think both girls were born, so it's been quite a while ago, but um, I went on an Emmaus walk, and I don't know if you've ever heard of that before. I have not. (laughs) Okay, so what it is, it's basically a four-day kind of not a getaway, but more of, and not really a camp, but it's you go away and you do a retreat and you learn all sorts of things about Jesus, about God. It's a lot of self-reflection. It's just, that was a pivotal point in my life. I know it wasn't Nate's favorite time because I was gone for four days and our girls were young. Young girls, yeah. Right. Um, But it, that was a very pivotal point in my walk with Christ because that was where I think he really got a hold of me mm-hmm. and was like, listen, you you need to have both feet in yeah. and we need to, you know, pull ahead. You, you need to a make a choice. For you here. Right, right. Yeah. Which I didn't realize. And coming out of that, one of the things that just really was stuck in my mind was I'm a teacher, but a teacher of what? Okay. And that was really where I got to kind of look at things maybe a little bit from where he was kind of giving me a peek in like yeah you're a teacher yeah I'm training you here but this isn't where you're going to stay yeah you've got you know a what I mean? mission ahead of you yeah so before you go on real quick though so what what made you make the decision to go on that like you know you said you kind of were at a plateau and, and weren't really incredibly active at that point like what was the deciding or driving factor that made you decide to go on that well Actually, we had just started coming here. It wasn't very long after that. And Nate had lost his job. We had come here. And he touched on that in his podcast episode. Um, So I think once we had started coming and then it was just being here, being around people that are here. I had a couple of friends that had gone on it and they're like, you know what? You really need to go on this. They're going to have one here soon. And so it was just, you know, suggested from some people that had been on it before. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I was just curious because as you were saying that, I'm like, well, you know, it is difficult to make that leap sometimes. So I was, I was interested on how that happened. So you're, you're probably thinking what, like, Maybe early 2000s is around when you're talking, is when you guys first started coming here? Um, 
I think it was uh, it was probably two thousand. Well, it was two thousand seven because okay. Maggie was born right after that. I was mucho pregnant with her <laughs> okay. when we were here. Okay. Um, at first, and I can remember um when we were here, we hadn't been here very long, and Pastor Paul actually came up. We had Maggie up at Galleon, and he came up and prayed, and I was like, both of us looked at each other, and we were like. Oh my word, we didn't even think he knew who we were. You know right, what I mean? Yeah. It was just so amazing yeah. the amount of care that he has for the people oh, yeah. in the congregation. Mm-hmm. And it was just, that was something that was really cool. And Nate, I know that made a big impression upon him. Okay. Because it was just one of those things that it, that just was so different from the type of church that he had been to before. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so what made you guys decide to come here to church as opposed to like anywhere else? We had friends. It was all about friends and connections. Um, and it was um, Alan Connor had asked Nate, you know, hey, you know what? You're really going for a rough time. I, you know, this would be a great place for you to come. Just just come. Yeah. So we did. And it was one of those things where I was kind of into it. And then Nate was into it for a little bit. And then he was like, mm, hands off. Right. And um, then I got on the worship team. Um, shortly after that, maybe, I don't know, maybe three to five years after that. Okay. And, um, not leading just on a rotation, being able to sing, singing backups, just just having, just having a great time, just worshiping. So it was just a a point where God was training me in that area and getting used to singing in a different way than I'd ever sang before. I mean, I thought it was the same, but it's so totally oh, not. Yeah, for sure. You absolutely. Know? So yeah. different. Yeah, absolutely. So when when exactly did you kind of take over your role as like the leader of the worship team here? That was like 2017, I think. And um, our other worship pastor had left and it was it was in like dropped in my lap not in a bad way I don't mean it that way but it was like it was a surprise from God because I was like oh my word how is this gonna work and Paul had approached me on that and had talked about talked to me about it and I was like but I don't play any instruments like I I sing that that's me hi (laughs) what are we gonna do now no you know and at that time we weren't sure if we were gonna have a drummer if we were and Nate was not at a place yet where he would have been like yeah I'll fill right in right you know so it was it was kind of scary and and I was like you know what God I I can't do this on my own but I really feel like you're asking me to do this so I'm gonna do it but you gotta have my back on this you know absolutely so um I a funny story though actually When that happened um, in college, I was a music major and I started out as a music major. And when I did that, we had to take a piano introduction to piano class. And I had this sweet little lady that taught us piano and she would try and try to help me. And she one day she just said, you know, honey you're really sweet, but I just don't think piano's for you. (laughs) And so that's like sitting in the back of my mind, right? And I'm like, well, the only thing that I can kind of play is piano. But I've I've been told I'm not very good at it. But I already (laughs) know I'm bad. So, you know, so I remember that very first Sunday and I was sitting at the piano and looking out and um, Scott and Dan, I think, were were on team then. And um, Rob Walter was doing drums for us and I just remember looking out and just sweating (laughs) like oh please God let this be just about you let this be you know let this be at least something not distracting for them that it's going to be completely about you and not about how sweaty I am right Right, now yeah exactly (laughs) so but I mean 
it was it was really a huge drop that was has proven over time to be an awesome thing so. yeah i was gonna say like the rest is history i mean it's, yeah, it's awesome so to watch you every weekend so um you, you get into the worship team you're still teaching i believe at highland right yeah yeah yep. so uh, obviously eventually you know you you leave teaching there at school mm-hmm. and come work here full-time um kind of give me the the background of that because i'm sure that obviously couldn't have been a very easy decision at the time Oh my word, that was insane. I mean, that that whole thing. So for years, you know, I had taught kindergarten, then I taught first grade, and then I taught fourth grade. So it was like getting older kids, older kids, older kids. And I'm like, ooh, man, I don't, I'm glad, you know, fourth grade, I, don't, I wouldn't go any higher than that. And then yeah. I'm like, okay, <laughs> look at all these adults. Yeah. But anyway, um, so that transition, um, and it was funny because I would talk to the girls at school and I'm like, you know... I really, if I could just work at the church full time, that would be so amazing. Like that would be my dream job. And they're like, well then, you know, do it. (laughs) Yeah. Right. They're like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, well, I know you're not really a position and we kind of like to eat and you know, (laughs) we like to have like food. Yeah. So anyway, but, um, so that transition just came about, uh, Jenny Barr was getting ready to retire and it was maybe a year before then or so um, that I, Nate had approached me and he's like, you know what, you just need to tell Paul that you you would be interested in, in doing something like that. So after our other worship leader had left, that position was never filled. And so, you know, Nate was like, just trying to encourage yeah. me. And he's like, if you really want to do that full time, he goes, talk to Pastor yeah, Paul it, and, and just let there. him know. Just yeah. let him know so that he's aware. Yeah. So I remember pulling into school one day and I called him up on the phone and I said, hey, I know this is really weird, but you know, if you ever want to fill that position, I would really like a chance to have an opportunity to do that. And he yeah, was like, well, sure. that wasn't even on my radar. I had, you know, thanks for letting me know. <laughs> right. And so then, you know, how God does sometimes, you know, they just, you wait. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. so I was like, okay. And so waited a couple years and and then he had talked to me. I don't. I think we had a staff meeting or something. And he said, "Hey, can I talk to you after staff meeting?" And I was like, "Oh no, I did something but wrong." What did I do? You know, it's like what the principal, right? Like you. That lady was right. I am bad at the piano. <laughs> right. I'm like, oh, we're yeah. sorry, but you're not gonna work out. And I'm like, oh my word. So um, he asked me to come in the office and he said, you know, I have an opportunity and there's a lot of questions as to how things will work, but I just want to, you know, offer this to you. And I remember I, he probably heard me. I jumped out of this building after (laughs) I was like, Oh my goodness, that is so awesome. (laughs) Like I was just, I was on cloud nine. And then I got halfway home and I went, uh Oh, if Nate's not on board, I can't do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a super tense situation like because i honey please sit down (laughs) right because i mean it's it's totally different you know as it was going to put nate into making the most money Mm -hmm. and where i had been before nate was going to then have to carry insurance you know what i mean all the logistical things that big changes i mean nothing easy about that whatsoever no and at that point um nate was supportive of me doing what I was doing, right? He was good with that. Mm. And, but he wasn't fully in yet. And so, you know, that, that was a challenge for him too. And, you know, Natalie and I, she was coming out of teaching like the year. So we've kind of walked our two stories 
kind of tandem side together. by side yeah. yeah and so you know I remember us talking we were sitting up at Tim Hortons one day and I'm like you know I said I just don't know how this is gonna work if Nate isn't in on it you know and yeah. she's like I, I get it I totally get it and I said you know I'm praying and so we were praying together you know about things just going the way that God wanted them to go whether right. it was the way that I was excited about or whether it was going to be hey I have to teach I'm you know either way God has to be behind it and I have to be in with my partner has to be with me right or it's not going to work I mean you can't have a team divided you know yeah exactly and you know I remember her saying on her episode you know it it, it took a little while for Mike yeah. to get on board and then eventually did. I mean, it's kind of similar to when you said something to Pastor Paul about I'm interested in that. And then obviously it wasn't overnight. And no. so I'm sure, you know, it, it took some time to get everybody on board. But here you are. Yeah. <laughs> it ended yeah. up working out. So, yeah. so you, uh, I'm assuming then you go home and have that conversation and it's go well or he was just kind of like yeah we'll make it ha we'll make it work or how, how did that work I don't remember exactly what he said to me I just remember how he looked I know it was like a quick turn of the head to me like are you serious you know and yeah. I'm like I am so serious right now so um we talked and um we had a lot of discussion with Jeannie and Neil and they were super helpful for us because Jeannie made a transition similar to that right and so we got a lot of um just advice from them um we actually sat down with Pastor Paul together and Nate just wanted to really make sure that he was still going to be able to provide for our family right. and that, you know, he didn't, that I wasn't making a jump that wasn't a smart jump for me to make. Right. Yeah. So, and that's totally understandable. You know, you still got to have a roof over your head right. and control your finances and everything. It's just like he said in sermons before, you know, about paying your tithes and stuff here at right. church, you know, don't go homeless, but you know, right. got got to do what you have to do, what you're, what you're supposed to do. Yeah. So you accept the position and mm -hmm. you said that was what, like 2017, I think you said? No, I think that was actually later. So that actually was probably, it was after COVID. So 2021. Okay. Yeah. Well, before I we go on then, I, as you said, COVID, not not that my voice is making me think of that, but uh, <laughs> but how I, I guess because we weren't coming here at that time, how yeah. did that work at worship team wise during COVID? Did you guys do some live streaming or because yeah. uh, like I said, we weren't here at that time, so kind of blind to what did happen during COVID. I think everybody looks at it as a blur, anyways. But yeah. uh, just curious as how that went. Yeah. So it was really surreal. We would come in. Dan and I, Rob, um, and I think Jack, I don't think, um, I don't know, maybe Scott's flipped in sometimes because Jack Walters and um, Scott Tinnermeyer swap off every other month for bass. Right. So anyway, we would just have our worship team and Pastor Paul would come in and we would run it just like there were people in here. Right. But it was so weird looking yeah. out and there was no one there. But I'll tell you what the coolest part of that. Well, besides the fact that someone brought in a bunch of baby dolls and like stuffed animals <laughs> yeah. after a while, that was hilarious. Yeah, I bet. But the coolest part about that was is that it really checked me. As far as are you doing this for the people sitting oh, in yeah, there? Are you doing that. this for me? Right. You know what I mean? So that was like super, you know, a reality check for me. And yeah, kind just, of an, a mental exercise yeah. too. I didn't even think of that. That's, that is, that is yep. really neat. And yeah. can you do this even if they're not out there, if they're not singing, if, if you guys are it, can you, can you really worship me? And I'm like, 
whoa. Yes. <laughs> so yes, that I was can. like one of those, you know, level ups, you know. Yeah, when kind you're of doing uh, that. who are you when I'm not looking type yeah. thing. Uh, yep. Yeah, who are you when everybody's at home wearing a mask? Right, so, <laughs> right. Yeah. My word, oh, for sure. My goodness. Yeah, so um, we're we'll get back on track now. So yeah, no, you're, good. you're you're back in here. You're in here full time now. You're mm-hmm. you're out of the school. So do you do you miss teaching at that point, or are you just fully like ready to roll? There are pieces of it that I miss, but the 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 coolest part of this whole situation that God has brought me into is that it's teaching. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It it is this, and then I can look back and I can see where all of those times that, you know, through kindergarten teaching, through first grade, through fourth grade, all of that time was him teaching me different skills that I needed to, that I would synthesize and use in just a different way. Yeah. And so, I mean, I miss portions of it. Like I miss silly kid writing at times, or I miss, um, you know, playing games with the kids and, and doing that. But what's also cool about this position is that vacation Bible school comes around once a year, you know what I mean? And so I get to do work with that. And, you know, so that kind of fills that void in a way. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, aspects of it. Yes. Yeah. Some aspects of it. (laughs) Not so much. Thank you. (laughs) Kids, you know, all over the place. Germs on top of germs on top of germs. Oh, absolutely. As you're talking to a guy that sounds like this right now, Mm, but, (laughs) and you got your husband at (laughs) home. That's just, Got germs on top of germs right now. <laughs> so um, then you jumped into becoming a, you know, a pastor. Right. So tell me a little bit, um, A, how you got to making that decision and then B, how it's going currently. So it, it to me, this is like the most surreal. It's one of those moments where I have repeatedly told God, you are hilarious. What are you doing? You know what I mean? And in a good way, not a mean way. But, <laughs> you know, I just I look at how he's brought me from where I was and from here. And I'm not saying that I'm anywhere near where he has created me to be. Please don't think that. But oh, my goodness. It's like, wow, what <laughs> what are we doing? But so what had really happened was and back to Natalie and I talking at Tim Hortons and I'm like, you know, this is the really the weirdest thing. I'm like, but I really kind of feel like it's going pastor wise. And she's like, what? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm like, I'm feeling right. I'm like, it's weird to me too. I said, but I really feel like that's where I'm going next. And so after getting the job here full time and then, you know, just working in the office with Jeannie and with Paul and now with Tony. I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's just something that is the next step to do. And it's just kind of where I feel God calling me to go. Now, I don't know where it's going after that. Right. But I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of to the point with God where I'm like, okay, that's what you want to do. I don't know how you're going to do it. But let's go. Yeah, let's get the in the wheel. car. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> let's go. Yeah, absolutely. So you're still in that process yes. right now, right? So yep. what's that, what does that process entail exactly? So right now it's online and we have a, right now we're doing Wesleyan theology. So basically the way our denomination is, as long as you have your, your bachelor's degree, all of that stuff, this um, avenue is just added on to that. Okay. So um, like I said, we're doing Wesleyan theology. You're, we're learning about the denomination. We're learning about, um, Wesleyan theology. <laughs> um, and so we'll eventually get into more like pastoral care. So it's a almost a year long um, online program and a cohort 
Um, Jeannie and I are doing it together, so it's nice that we can bounce things yeah. off of one another. Yeah, for sure. Um, we've already taken history and polity, and um, so it's just a, a the way that our denomination has things set up for um, pastoral candidates to go through these types of preparations in order to then be ordained by the MIG board. So Okay, so do you have to do like... Um, I guess for lack of better terms, field work for this once you're done with like the actual class process of it? No, like that's kind of, so it's, it's unlike any, I mean, it's kind of like classes that I've gone through before, but it's so unlike classes that I've gone through before. Like, I don't even know how to explain it. Yes, there's classes online. Yes, we have to do assignments. But as far as it being a field experience or where that's kind of what we are, right, you know what yeah, I mean? What we're doing, yeah. like we're doing that at the same time. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's unlike anything I've done before Okay. in okay. that respect. So uh, what would, you, what is your like, uh, uh, what, what, what do you have in mind as far as when you're finished? Like, do you plan on just staying here and basically just you know helping you out and doing your mm-hmm. part through that is that kind of what you're you're thinking yeah that's I really feel called to this church yeah. I mean I that's that's just what I feel at this right. point so I mean I don't have any thinking of you know moving or right. going but if like I said if God says hey we're yeah. gonna okay <laughs> let's get in the car God let's right. go yeah exactly so but yeah so at this point it's just um adding on to what I'm already doing here yeah and just being able to do some of those other things that I wouldn't be able to do not ordained yeah that I makes think it's sense a, yeah well and I think it's a really good idea too because um, I mean I thought you did a great job on your sermon but it's like I think having a team here that can all, you know, like you said, with you and Jeannie, work off one another. If you've got you, Paul, Jeannie, Tony currently, like that you guys can all kind of spitball ideas from. And then also, you know, when you feel passionate about something, I'm sure you can reach out to Paul and be like, hey, can uh, pass me the ball for this one? I want to be the point guard in this uh, situation. So, okay, well, that's that's really, really cool. So I I wish you luck in that. But um so the other thing I was going to ask about was, uh, and I know you're, um, I don't know if it's actually started yet or if it's just coming up, but LifeWise uh, yeah. here in Galleon. So I know that you're you're working on that, you and Jeannie. So um, um, A, is is that happening now or is it kind of in the, the, the beginning steps that you guys are getting going? We are in the end of the beginning steps. Okay. So yeah, so we're co-directing that together. And it starts in February. We're starting February 1st. Okay. And in Galleon, we're doing just kind of like a staggered start. So we're doing just grades one and two this year. And so just the spring. Then that way, next year, we're going to be adding on. The plan is to add on some grades from there. Okay. So to be determined which ones we're going to do. So It's kind of getting your feet wet right now. Yeah. And then, okay. Yeah. And that's another great aspect to use the uh, the whole teaching background right there, too. That's where when Jeannie had asked me, she said, hey, I I don't know that I'd want to direct this by myself, but would you be willing? I'm like, oh my gosh, this is actually something that I've gone to college for. Yes, right, let's yeah. do it. Right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so I felt like, you know, I can really help out in this area. So okay. we've been part, we've been partnering, partnering together and it's just been going so well, having someone there by your side, working on it together getting meetings, doing those things and preparing. So we're excited about it. Oh, and I think you guys will have a great experience. Uh, Brantley has been doing it for three or four years now and he looks forward to it all the time. He loves it. It's, it's kind of crazy because like, 
Um, for instance, like you guys, is, is it at Galleon Alliance? Is that yes. where you guys do it? So they yes. get on a bus and go to Galleon Alliance? Yes. Okay, so, so kind of the same thing, except at Colonel Crawford, they do it at that church that's right there on 602. Yeah, okay. They still get on a bus for that, though, right. which is the like weird part, because I'm like, you guys couldn't, it's right there, but yeah. Right. But yeah, he really, really enjoyed it. So he had, he had actually been doing that before we came here and really enjoyed it. And, yeah. Uh, we had talked to the the people in charge, the the teachers for LifeWise there a couple of times, you know, when we would go to the open houses yes. and all that for school. And um, I know uh, all of his buddies go and everything, but uh, they just got it at Madison at Rochelle's school. Yeah. And she was telling me one day that she was treating one of her students and she, and uh, the kid was basically like, is this going to be over before LifeWise? Because I'm not missing oh, that. Oh, my so, word. How cool so is that? So it seems like it's really cool. And that kids, yeah. are, it's awesome that it, like, I wish that was... Like when I was in public school, I wish that would have been an option. It, it yep. really wasn't. I think the closest thing we had was like uh, FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, yeah. once you were in high school. But uh, obviously I grew up in Catholic school, so I had it for a certain amount of time, you know, religion class and everything. Yeah. But that would have been a really cool thing when we were younger. And <clears throat> frankly, I think it's going to, I think we're going to see a major difference from these life-wise kids. You know, you uh, you hear kids or you hear adults refer to themselves as kids. I was a, a latchkey. Yes, yeah, so. I thought the same thing. Yeah, yes. yeah so I'm yes. hopefully there's a kid that's like, I was a life-wise kid, and yes. that, that leads them to the church, whether that be this one, Galleon Alliance, right. or wherever, just to get them there. I mean, yep. and you see the turnout at a thing like Vacation Bible School, like I would say, I don't know the numbers for sure, but I would venture to say that m- most of the kids there aren't kids that come to this no, church there's like, a there's a lot that are yeah 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 but yeah. yeah but yeah there's kids from all over and like that's that's the whole point of it it's not about you know this specific church or this it's let's introduce you to god let's talk about jesus let's you know let's teach you about that so i that's the most important thing i think well it's really cool too because like there it seems like generations go through different things like it felt like my generation, um, there wasn't a lot of godliness, like even in the TV you watch, the books you sure. read, anything like that. I mean, I was basically watching, you know, The Simpsons and right, <laughs> that type right. of stuff. Not right. nothing there, but now you look at all the outlets there are, I mean, between right now media, Pure Flix, uh, I just downloaded one for Emory the other day, uh, I want to say Minnow or something like that is what okay. it's called. Like, there's so many options now that like you can introduce this at a young age and make it a fun experience. Cause you know how it is when you're a little, you're a little kid and your parents are trying to read from you, the uh, read to you from the Bible. Like right. you're just kind of like, I, first of all, you know, why is he saying therefore and all this so much? <laughs> right. Like right. I'm not understanding what he's saying. Right. So it, it, it is re- really, really interesting. And I think that it'll, uh, it'll go a long ways for that because I was actually reading, um, I started reading the Mission Possible book, oh, yeah. the Tim Tebow one that Jay did the uh, connection group on. And yeah. it made me think a lot of not just when I was younger, but kids in general. Uh, Tim was talking about they would go out to eat, you know, every once in a while when they were younger. And he was like, my dad would pray so loud. And he was like, I would yes. know, sink back here in my yes. chair, sink back in my chair because I was embarrassed. And he was like, I'm embarrassed now that I felt that way. But right. What I'm saying is I think that's going to be more normal than what we're used to seeing right now because oh, yeah. like <clears throat> I have a friend at work that I never thought in a million years would be a guy that would tell me he's going to church. Like 
not his thing. Yeah. I don't want to call him an atheist, but about as close, he was an atheist that didn't want to say he was an atheist is what I would say. And I, the very first episode, I said something to Pastor Paul. I said, you know, what am I supposed to do? Like, it is our duty to um, proclaim our love for the Lord and try to, and I said in that too, for lack of better terms, recruit others. And um, he, he basically told me, he's like, there's some people you just have to, you have to let it go. You, you know, you can't force it upon them. No. Yeah. So other than, you know, he knows that I come here. Um, he's obviously seen the changes I've made in my life. I mean, Nate and I had very similar stories and, um, that was one of those buddies of mine. And so still talk to him, you know, every day at work and everything. But, um, other than knowing that I go to church and I go to the podcast and maybe just seeing the changes I've made in my life, he called me, what day was it? Uh, Wednesday or Thursday last week. And he was like, all right, buddy, you're going to be proud of me. And I'm like, all right, what's that? Did you root for <laughs> the Steelers this weekend? Like, what did you do? He's like, I'm actually going to church this weekend. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. awesome. And so, um, you know, I said, can you tell me why? And he was like, yeah, I'll, g- I'll give you some. And he basically had said that um, at school, his son was doing some sort of assignment and put God as one of the answers, but wasn't quite sure of what exactly God was so he was like I need to do this for my kids and I've kind of been feeling the uh the urge to go back and the need to go back so really cool thing like I'm you know it's a it's a small scale with this podcast but there's been a few a few people that have came up to me and been like hey this got me to do this so I think that you doing this life-wise thing is going to do the exact same thing. And and kids are going to remember that too. Yeah. Like, you know, they're going to see you just like when you were at the, uh, come home to galleon thing yeah. this weekend yeah. and be like, Oh, there's my, there's, there's Mrs. Lovely from life-wise. Right. Like you're going to see these kids out in public and they're going to have that memory of you forever. So no pressure. Yeah. No, well to <laughs> me, that's like how it was with teaching, right? Yeah. It's just, it's adds a whole new level to it. And a lot of times in like my own classroom, you know, in, in public school, kids ask questions about yeah. that. I mean, they are so curious and they want to know about God, especially when we would read um, Number of the Stars, which is, you know, set in World War II. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about all of that. And they're like, you know, talking about, well, what are what are Jews? What are why were they? Right. Why didn't they like, you know, so being able to talk to them about Mm -hmm. that and then to wrap that in. I mean, I was never shy about my faith with my kids in my classroom with, you know, telling them, you know, anything that they asked about with that. So, I mean, this to me is just adding LifeWise into that is like, whoa, this is like what I dearly wanted to be doing teaching public school but now it's like this is awesome because now I'm teaching but I'm also (laughs) teaching about Jesus so that's that is so cool yeah it is and so I saw B. Cyrus is adding it Galleon just added it um so I believe Colonel Crawford was like the the only one in a room and right close to us that really had well, it. They actually started pretty uniquely. So it was Winford, Bucyrus, and Colonel Crawford started together okay. as um, kind of like their own little area model. And so they the started chapter. together. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. And so um, now we're forming. So Crestline's coming on. Okay. We're coming on. Buckeye Central just came in. And so we are now forming. 
um, a Crawford County area model. So we okay. will be all really kind of operating as one entity. Yeah. It'll yeah. be just like like one just giant big school district. Yeah. And these are the individual schools. Okay. So that's the pretty cool thing, I think, about Crawford County coming together. And we've got some really awesome, influential people that are already on that board that was the original board yeah. for Winford, Colonel Crawford, and Bucyrus, um, Pat Horde, and Gary Frankhouse, okay. um, a bunch of other people. I'm, I know there's some from Colonel Crawford that you would be like, yeah, I know that is. And I right. can just, I can hear Nate in my head. It's so-and-so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm terrible with names. But <laughs> yeah. so anyway, but that group of people coming together has been so influential and bringing LifeWise into our county, uh, getting kids into it. They're very passionate about it and very organized about it. And so it's it's a privilege to be a part of that group. Yeah, and it's really cool just to think of it like a spider graph and you just like look right here yes. in Little North Robinson, Bucyrus, and Nevada, Ohio, and then just the branches that come off of it because, yes. you know, we've got it in here in Galleon to Crestline, Madison, Buckeye Central. And then, you know, you think of it over at Winford, it's probably going up to Upper Sandusky and just yes. scattering out. It's really cool because, like I just said, like that wasn't available when we were younger. No. And to see it growing that quick, like, I, I don't know if it's just me, but it does seem like over the past three well I, I would say since covid yeah. that i've just noticed people's faith growing and growing and growing like yeah. i said like people that i would not expect right them to to come to church or to get invested in their faith and be curious at all and just in my own friends you know that mm-hmm. you know i hear their stories you know hear Nate's story and how it's grown mike and just my own like my wife's everything that has happened over the past couple of years it's crazy and i think you can like I think, A, you can look at what this world is and sit and dwell on it, or you can look at it and be like, that's not for me. Right. I'm, I'm turning that page. I, I don't want to see that stuff anymore. And then you get invested. And, and it's right. the same story over and over again on this podcast. Like when I have someone on and they're like, the first time I stepped into this church, like, yeah. you know, it instantly clicked. And, I, you know, Rochelle, I've, I've told her time and time again, I'm like, I hate that it I sound like that on the podcast that I'm just like, it's the same story over and over again, but it really is. But that's a great thing. Like that a person came in here once and heard a sermon and have been here ever since, or whether they're here or not, ended up giving their life to Christ, period. Right. It's just a really, really neat thing. But back to the life-wise thing, I didn't want to get off on too long of a tangent. This is how I think. You're good. It's all good. I follow you. I'm very, very scattered-brained. You're good. So, you know, you were kind of talking about the the chapter of the Crawford County life-wise. So will you guys kind of all be following the same curriculum or uh, thing at the same time, or are they all kind of on their own little... uh, little lesson plan for like a better term yeah so good question so lifewise has their um i think it's gospel bible curriculum i'm probably <laughs> saying that wrong so don't quote me on okay. it but they have their curriculum that they have you know that we buy as part of that group and we all are doing it so it doesn't have to be all timed out like you know how you have certain school buildings that say we're all going to be on the same pace and we're going to be doing this we still as galleon will have our chance to 
pace out our things for the year, get it how it works for our building. So we will have a local board and local directors. So for right now, Jeannie and I are acting as those local directors. Okay. We do have a Galleon City board um, that we will still have okay. once we continue into more of that um, Crawford County model. Okay. Um, but basically what it does is it allows us to take some of that bigger pressure, like the fundraising and the, the that aspect of it is so beyond my brain that, you know, that portion is where I feel like people who are experts in that area need to have that area. It's tough, man. I, you know? I, you know, just even with like the sports fundraising that they send oh, home with their word. kids, like, yes. because I, I don't like being that person. I hate going up to my family members and right. be like, can you please give me $50 for this one bag of microwave popcorn, please? Right, <laughs> right. right. Uh, It'll be great. Everybody's going to love it. It's oh, the yeah, best popcorn the, you've ever had in your life. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I saw it at Drug Mart for $2. Ignore <laughs> yeah, right? it. It's not the same. I promise. <laughs> Oh, it's goodness. So true. Well, but um, before we kind of get to the end of things, uh, Nate the Romantic told yeah. me the other day that oh, I had to uh, ask you the story of how he, at first he said how you met. And he goes, wait, no, not how we met, how we ended up together. So okay. that was the story he told me to ask. So oh, here boy. you go, Nate. I can only imagine the other questions he gave you. So no, when no, no, he didn't. He didn't give me any more. I just I, I before okay. I get to the wrap up ones, that one I came gotcha. to my mind because he <laughs> he specifically mentioned it. So I figured I'd have to get it in there. Okay, so um, I'm assuming he's meaning when we actually started dating because I had had a huge crush on him as a kid. So he would mow the lawn of our neighbor, and I would peek out him peek at him out through the blinds on our back window, and he was mowing. Anyway, I'm just so. picturing like the 80s <laughs> movies where like a little girl's doing that and he's slow motion, oh, yeah. you know, oh, wiping yeah. the sweat from his brow. <laughs> oh, he, oh, he absolutely did. And then I would go out and I would play basketball. I am not a sports person at all. We had a basketball hoop. I don't know why, but I went out and I would play if he was out there and he would come over. Hi, and I know, right? <laughs> and I would have to go to the mailbox like 50 times. <laughs> I mean, it was so silly. But anyway, so. When I think it was my maybe my sophomore year at college, I was up at Bowling Green and um, had had a long term boyfriend that I had been with. We broke up. You know, Nate and I had worked at Sam's Club okay. together for I don't know for a really long time. Okay, and um, so I was getting ready to come home from break. And I was just having a really rough day. I was home and it was raining and I was just, I was walking in Galleon. I was actually, I don't, I think I was going back to my grandma's house, um, but I was just walking and pouring down rain. I was a soggy, wet rat and Nate drove by in his little red S10 um, and he's like, hey, what are you doing? And I'm like, <laughs> really? Here's your sign. I'm walking, like I'm yeah. walking. Have a great day. Yeah. You know, thanks for pointing out to me that I look like a train wreck, you know. <laughs> but um, he stopped, and I, I just was in a really dark place. Like, I wasn't eating. I was just, I was just existing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And really kind of lost at that time. And so he um, made me get in the truck with him against his friend who was in there, his better judgment. His friend <laughs> was like, no, we're going to McDonald's. Leave her here. And he's like, I'm not leaving her, you know, walk on the side of the road. I'm going to pick her up. So Picked me up, got me in the truck, um, took me to McDonald's, and um, I was like, I'm just, I'm not hungry. He's like, when did you last eat? I'm like, I don't know. You know, like, I, this is not important. And he's, right. So, you know, so he made me eat, and um, we just started hanging out. And he was really just being a friend, because we really and truly had been friends yeah. since the third grade. And, I mean, 
as we got older and I like fifth grade had a major crush on him, middle school major crush, then in high school I knew better. You know, like <laughs> I knew him and I'm like, Yeah, you're cool, but you know <laughs> So, you know, just we were just always friends, you know, and just yeah. always would be able to say, Hey, what are you doing? How you doing? What you been up to? You know, whatever. Right. And so, you know, he just was being a friend and just we started hanging out and we started hanging out a lot and we started, you know, <laughs> and then we started dating and it was just like it was amazing. It wasn't long after that because I know our families thought we were insane. Like it wasn't long after that that he proposed, mm-hmm. and I mean, we were just like, "Well, this is totally right." How you know, go, yeah. yeah. What What's the problem? And I know our family was just like, "What is yeah. happening?" But um, it just if right from there, and then we've just we've gone through it all right. together. We really have. I mean ups and downs you know yelling the screaming the you know laughter and the crying and all of that like we really have just grown up together with kids with family with everything so yeah yeah, he just picked me up on the side of the road that's what he likes to tell people (laughs) i'm like oh my word that is a heck of a way to uh (laughs) to to get it all wrapped into one yeah, I just picked her up off the side of the road. Well, he's a man of few words on that kind of stuff. And if he can shock anybody, that's where he's going. Yep, yep. <laughs> well, the reason that I uh, I saved that story for the end because, uh, for Nate, because I, I also wanted to uh, tell him, and I, I don't think he'll mind that I say this, but he texted in the group. Uh, very proud of him and congratulations to him because uh, today is the anniversary of two years since he stopped drinking. Yeah. So, uh, so you know, amazing. Friend. Yeah, awesome, awesome thing that's happened to him. He's been... Uh, a great friend to me and a great influence through all those things that I, you know, that I had dealt with. And so, um, very, very proud of him, proud to call him a friend. So I wanted to get that in there for him so I could mention, mention that at the end to give him props for that. Uh, hope hope he doesn't mind that I put that on here, but I don't think he will, but, (laughs) uh, if he does, sorry, buddy. No, yeah. Feel better. (laughs) Too late. Yep. It's on here. (laughs) Well, is there, uh, is there anything else that you, uh, want to add before we, uh, we close up shop and, uh, let Pastor Paul do his sermon then. <laughs> um, oh, I don't want to keep him from getting his sermon done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's bad. Um, <laughs> no, I don't think so. I just, like I've told you before, like I'm a major podcast geek. Yeah. And I think what you're doing with all of this is so awesome. I like it is it. just pulling people in in a different way. And I mean, even when I've listened to other people's podcasts, people that I'm friends with, I'm right. like, Oh my gosh, I didn't know that story. How did I not know that right. story? So I just think it's so important for us to get to know one another and to connect to one another just to realize that, you know, we all go through stuff. And we all have a story. <laughs> Absolutely. And we all have added God in, in those stories. We've all chosen to yeah. do that. And so it, it's just, it's so important for us to be able to know those things so that we can connect with other people and we can, you know, share that love of God that we have. I, I agree completely. Like some of the stories that people have came on here and told, like oh, I've probably Lord. said it seven or eight times since the last podcast, but uh, Jen's advice at the end about the, the horse and the being still like, yep. I'm not kidding you. My, my jaw just continuously yep. get dropping to the floor. I was like, yes. wow, that was awesome. Like yep. I could not, cause she also said, she was like, well, I had something else planned, but this popped in my head. Like that popped in your head she you just that's how she is she just comes up with these like god just inserts things into her brain and you just kind of tilt your head and go 
whoa. I know. It was <laughs> you know incredible. I mean? Like, I, yep. I could not believe it. I was. That's Jen. There's been so many people I've talked to that I'm like, did you hear that? Like, it was yes. incredible. Like, you know, I've gotten a lot of feedback on Rochelle's story because it was yes. it was a wild, oh, wild story. Word. Oddly enough, yeah. uh, that is the other anniversary. Today is the two year. What? I'm sorry, three year anniversary of the surgery. Well, on oh her uh, uh, placenta tumor. Yeah. Yeah, we uh, were all like bawling. We're like, oh my <laughs> gosh. So yeah, that story is amazing. Yeah, it's, it's it's incredible. And it's just, it's nice to see everybody connect because I've already seen it firsthand, like out yeah. in the lobby when I've heard someone being like, uh, oh, I heard this. And they went up and talked to someone about yes. what they heard on the podcast. And then Pastor Paul was saying something about uh, Sugar Creek one day and I guess at the morning Bible study and... Um, someone said, Oh, I didn't know you were from, you grew up in Sugar Creek. And he said, one of the ladies there goes, yeah, didn't you hear it on the podcast? (laughs) (laughs) So I I appreciate the kind words. Uh, we are going to, uh, next year. Um, so after I get through this whole interview series, um, I don't think I've actually publicly said on here what we're going to do. No, you haven't because I've been wondering what it was. Okay. Okay. So I don't want it to be an exact ripoff of unashamed oh yes. but it's gonna be very similar oh. so now you're uh, speaking my language that's exactly. my favorite podcast same, same i was just uh what was the one i was on yesterday i was two episodes behind I, uh the skillet guy and then there was one more yesterday but i i can't remember which one it was now but uh so essentially we're gonna kind of do the same thing we're uh oh, I love gonna it. have on catch up and uh might just not it might not just be you know one-on-one either yes. might have a group and then uh Love that. We're going to have a section of the Bible that we're going to basically have assignments on to read, and then we're going to come on here and read from it and discuss. So that is what season two of the Grace Point podcast is going to be. Um, fall of 2024, right after Ooh, Labor Day. I know. I'm That's super excited be for so it. That's going to so awesome. I'm, I'm kind of going to prepare over the summer for it. Yeah. Uh, looking forward to, as you know, we do a lot of camping. So yeah, going to start taking a lot of notes during camping season and get ready for that. But uh yeah, so spoiler alert to everybody that's uh, yes, been like he said it like alert. three. Yeah, you get it the Sweet. day uh, you get it the day early. Um, <laughs> so everybody that's been curious, that's what it's gonna be. Um, so again, you know, in the in the fall there will be a sign up sheet, um, awesome. and uh, you will be recruited. Sweet. <laughs> everybody will be uh, be asked to come on, and uh, I might even uh, I guess I could put it out there as a question but uh i, I kind of had the idea of making like uh, an email for the podcast and that way if yeah that way like if an episode's coming up and they know what what chapter we're going to be reading if there's yes. something they're like i don't quite understand this then we can all discuss it you know so I love uh, that. A, a lot to a lot to spitball there in the old cranium but uh i think that's going to be the plan but uh that'd be cool yeah i'm excited for it got like, a lot of interviews to get through yet uh yeah. I'm super happy with the people that have been signing up to come on. I'm kind of backlogged a little bit. I told everybody, I'm like, be patient with me. But uh, yeah, so thank you again for coming on. This was awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, I'm glad that you enjoy it. I hope everybody does. Um, We've actually been getting like a lot of out of state listeners, which has been cool. Yeah. How cool is that? It is really cool. Uh, There was one in Australia, but uh, it was my sister. So (laughs) I. I, I saw Australia and I was like, I know, exactly. That counts. I know, I saw it and I was like, all right, hey. That counts. I, I have listeners abroad. <laughs> I love that. Oh, my word. Uh, so uh, I guess before I wrap up and give this voice a rest, um, 
like I said at the beginning of the episode, you heard Kim, you heard Kim's sermon, you heard Kim's interview. Now you're going to hear Pastor Paul's uh, sermon from the first Sunday in Advent. Um, hopefully you all got your Advent calendars and were able to follow along on the kind of the task sheet on there. We did it uh, right after the kids' Christmas program the other night, and that was a lot of fun and got to yeah, watch a Christmas movie afterwards. And so you'll hear Pastor Paul's sermon next um, next week. I believe my guest is going to be Amanda Riggle. And um, that's kind of on purpose because second week of Advent, um, when I look at Amanda, I think of someone with a ton of Christmas spirit. She's the one in charge of the Christmas (laughs) program with the kids. So um, ask her how many ugly Christmas sweaters she has. I want to know a number. Okay, Um, I'm going to remember that. I will ask her that. (laughs) So we're going to do the second Sunday of Advent sermon, an interview with Amanda, and then kind of like this episode is going to be an Oreo. Um, the one after the interview will be the kids Christmas program, which was actually this past Sunday and the kids did an awesome job. It was really, really fun. It was fun to watch. Um, my daughter's still a little young. She kind of just, uh, sat there uh, a little ornery. She is her own person, but, uh, Brantley, my son, he was, he was into it. He had the moves that also may have been influenced by me saying, Hey, you sing loud and uh, do a good job. We'll get DQ afterwards. Cause uh, <laughs> he got his cookie down there and he was like, are you ready for DQ? Yeah. Like, give me a little bit. So got our dairy queen fix in too. But uh, yeah, so you kind of get some bonus content in this episode and next, and then probably one or two more after the one with Amanda and then uh, take another break for the holidays and Christmas and new years. Um, watch, that team from up north playing. It's going to uh, be so oh, amazing. Goodness. Oh, goodness. You know, it's going to be amazing. Uh, yeah. I, uh, you can say it. You can say go blue, Zach. It's I, okay. I can't. You can say it. It hurts. My, <laughs> that might make my voice worse. It, it, but it might make it better. You just never know. Oh, goodness. See? You know what stinks is like. It's an inside joke that my brother looks identical to J.J. McCarthy. I know. I got a text the other day from my husband on that. I was like, oh, my word, he does. They're identical. And then I'm walking in the other day, and Nate and Gary were talking about the game. And Gary was like, yeah, and his brother's a quarterback. I'm like, oh, don't tell him that. He does not (laughs) like that comparison. That is another shout-out I want to give before I close out of here, though, real quick. I I know I always throw it back to sports, but uh, to my brother Trevor, super proud. He was – all Ohio as a quarterback. Um, I was a little nervous about that because he was all Ohio last year as a wide receiver, first team, made first team all Ohio this year as a quarterback. So switched positions and still made it. Super proud of him, not only as an athlete, but as a great brother. Um, he's my best friend. And um, I'm just super proud of him. He's uh, not quiet about his faith either. Um, he was on the homecoming court this year for football and they kind of do a bio as they're walking out on the field. And, um, they said if the, you know, one of them was like, if you had an autobiography of your life, what would it be called? And his was why I believe in God. So so super cool to see kids do that. Cause, uh, you know, just like I'm reading in the Tim Tebow book. And like I said, a couple of weeks ago, you know, uh, it's not always the most popular thing to be a devoted Christian in school. So that is so hard. I hear that from my daughter coming home and, from my daughter going in and teaching. I mean, it, it's nuts. Yeah. It is so hard right now. Yeah, it, it really a, is. It absolutely is. So I, I commend those kids. Um, they've got great bravery. Um, I, absolutely. I don't know that I would have had that bravery at that I age know. to be perfectly honest. So, um, before I get out of here and, uh, pass it on to pastor Paul, um, just kind of thinking off the top of my head cause I didn't have my uh, sermon notes with me, but I know this Sunday, 
obviously the second uh, Sunday of Advent, but the adult Christmas party at yep. six, six o'clock? 5.30. 5.30, okay. Yep. I was close. I was close. <laughs> and then I know the following Sunday is um, the kids only shop. Uh-huh. Um, so they are still taking donations for that. Yep, um, we certainly they, are. They yep. just bring them right in here, right? Bring them to the office. Okay. You got it. <laughs> Sorry, don't have a cough button. Um, and then uh, <laughs> the Sunday after that, that is the big one. It's Christmas yes. Eve, uh, regular worship hours. There's going to be a candlelight vigil that night at 6 o'clock, right? So Saturday is the 6 o'clock candlelight service. Okay. Sunday, there's four services. So two morning services, regular 9 and 1030. Yep. And then two evening candlelight services at 6 and 8. Awesome. All right. And then uh, I think we, I don't think we have much going on. I'm, I'm kind of assuming that, I, I, I don't know this for sure, but... The week leading into Christmas, are we still going to have like Bible study and all that? On the 20th is, Wednesday the 20th is the last adult Bible study and the last youth group one. They'll do their um, youth group party that night. Okay. And so, but after that, usually there's a hiatus until the first of the year. Yeah. So I think the the first is on a Monday. So we'd either start back on the third or the the 10th. Okay. So the third. So. Uh, and I'm sure we'll we'll be announcing all that, and it'll it'll be out there. But just kind of giving you giving you an idea of what's to come up because there's lots of fun things coming. And uh, before I pass it on to Pastor Paul, um, I, I was obviously here for the sermon. And uh, main thing you can take away from it, um, kind of the name of the series is the um, the word is the word mm-hmm. um, because Jesus is the word, right. and um, we're basically trying to you know re. Uh, reinforce the reason for the season so um and and it'll be really cool i know there's a lot of different challenges out there that uh you can see online and stuff you know each day reading uh a chapter from uh from luke and so there's lots of cool different things you can do i I, we're personally following the advent one so a lot of cool activities you you can do with your children um just make sure you put jesus first um yes it's not about santa it's not about the gifts it's about um a jesus and the reason for the season would be just being together. Um, I think we commercialize it too much and make it about the things and uh, kind of forget sometimes about what it's truly about. So yep. now with this uh, growing with LifeWise and all that, I, th- I think uh, for a lot of adults, the kids are going to be teaching them something. Yeah. So um, just listen to them as well. Yep. <laughs> so, all yep. right, well, I'm going to let Kim go and get home to Nate. I'm going to give this voice a rest. Um, we'll be back next week, I promise. I'm sorry for the little hiatus. Uh, believe me, I missed this a lot. I really enjoy doing this. Um, I hope this deep voice hasn't blown anybody's speakers in their cars or subwoofers or anything <laughs> like that. We kind of got the high. Just like Barry White. Yeah, 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 exactly. We got the low and the high with Kim's right, voice. I so know, right? We're on two different scales right now. Like You kind of look at the channels right there. I like know, Look at mine down sure. there. It's just, I know. It's funny to watch. So, All right, you guys have a great week. We'll see you Sunday. God bless. This is the first Sunday of Advent, and we are going to be lighting our Advent wreath. Now, I, I, have a, I have a challenge for you, because one of my passions is to make sure that we pause in the middle of all the gift-giving and celebrating on Christmas Day to remember this is about Jesus. You know, one of the sad things Cheryl would tell me every year when she'd come home from her kindergarten class, she would always ask her students whose birthday is on Christmas. And the majority of her students would answer, Santa Claus, you're right. May that never be said in our families.
May we always understand that, that Christmas is, is fun and, and we love the jolly old elf and giving presents and, and doing all the stuff that we do. But really, it's about Jesus. So I'm, I, I'm creating a family challenge for you this year to stop in the middle of your Christmas celebration and remember that it's about Jesus. And it's going to focus around John 1.14. I think it's coming up on the screen right now. That's what we're going to spend all of our time thinking about in our worship time during this Advent season. And here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to make it a challenge in your home for everybody in your household to memorize John 1.14. From kindergartners to 90-year-olds, make this your goal. And uh, create a, a special treat or a little gift that you have someplace in your house, especially if you have kids, so they can, can be reminded that that's coming. And then you're going to pause sometime during your gift opening portion of the celebration, and you're going to do the challenge for everybody in your household to quote from memory John 1.14. Now, I'm going to help you get that done because I'm going to spend four Sundays trying to drill it into your head. And we're going to start right now. I'd like you to all stand with me and we're going to quote this verse together and we're going to start the challenge. So are you ready? John 1.14, let's say it together. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Good job. You can sit down. Now, here's the deal. If you haven't heard that verse over and over and over again by the time Christmas gets here, it won't be my fault. Because I promise you, we will be saying it and you'll be hearing it uh, ad nauseum because I want you to make this a, a serious opportunity to uh, understand uh, with your kids, with your family. This is so important. And by the way, this is not just for kids. So if you live alone, call somebody and quote John 1.14 and give yourself a treat. And if, uh, if you're with extended family, pause and, and do this. It's a great way for you to remember the reason for the season. Well, I'll have a lot more to say about John 1.14 in just a few moments. But first, let's watch this video together.
So I hope you'll take one of those little Advent wreath kits to your home and you'll follow the guide and you'll use that in your home. But of course, our opportunity is to do this in worship as well. And so we're going to light the first candle in the Advent wreath here in the sanctuary. Right now, I think the Harding family is going to come and do the honors. And this will be the first part of John 1.14. The very first phrase simply says, the word became flesh. And as we light the first candle, that's where our focus is going to be in our worship time today. So Matt, do the honors. Let's pray. Father, uh, we have so many reasons to celebrate as we come into this season. But most of all, we're celebrating the reality that you have come into our world. The word became flesh. So we're asking, Heavenly Father, that as we begin to put our focus toward this grand celebration of your coming into the world, that you will bless our thoughts, our times together. You'll bless our homes with your presence and with a passion to know you and love you and serve you. So we give all of that to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love this time of year, all the fun things that are happening here. I can't wait for tonight. I so enjoy watching the kids and, and see Christmas through their eyes. And, and the best thing about these Christmas programs for kids is it builds memories for them. And, and they get the reason for the season just drilled into them as they're a part of that process. So I hope you'll be there for that today. And then next week we do our adult Christmas party. And I always love that time because, you know, I have a simple goal for that day. I want to see how many times I can get people to moan and groan over really bad jokes. And it's going to be fun. So I, I'm, actually, I'm actually practicing. So uh, let, let me just run a couple by you here to see how well I'm doing. Um, like, uh, why does Santa use GPS? He doesn't want to be a lost clause. Yeah, okay, we're, we're getting there. You didn't, groan, you didn't groan well enough. How, how about this one? Did you hear about the angry snowman? He had a meltdown. Well, yeah, I, I could go on all day. As a matter of fact, next week I am going to go on all day. So uh, if you like to groan and moan, make sure you're here, and I'll be having a good time at your expense. Well, so here we are beginning to focus on this celebration of the coming of Jesus into the world. And, and Advent is a part of the church calendar comprised of the last four Sundays before Christmas Day. And it's designed for us to prepare our hearts to celebrate Christmas well. That's, that's why I'm asking you to do this challenge so that it's not just about giving and receiving gifts in your home. That there's going to be this moment when you, when you pause and, and think about Jesus on Christmas morning. And you, and you say John 1.14 and, and, and get a little reward for that and celebrate with your loved ones and with your family. Because John 1.14 is the reason for our celebration. It's John's explanation of Jesus coming into the world. 
And in case you haven't heard it, it goes like this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. It's really a description of Jesus' identity because that's what John wanted to drill into before telling the story of Jesus. He wanted to make clear our understanding of this theological term, the incarnation, which simply means God becoming human. And actually, verse 14 is the conclusion of what's known as the prologue of John's gospel or the introduction. And a lot of scholars believe that John wrote out his story of Jesus and like a lot of good authors kind of went through it and thought, how can I best introduce this? And may have written this at the very end, not at the beginning of the process because he starts not by telling the Christmas story of Mary and Joseph and the shepherds. He leaves that for Matthew and for Luke. He tells about the identity of Jesus. And in those first 14 verses, he wants to make clear who Jesus is. So you'll be hearing this again at the candlelight service, but let's pause as I read that entire introduction to John's gospel, verses 1 through 14 of chapter 1. He wrote, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So in introducing us to Jesus, John connected the first part of his introduction with the last part. So he starts out in verse 1 saying, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, he comes back to that metaphor and says, The Word became flesh. And both of them refer to Jesus as the Word. In verse 1, he's the Word in creation in verse 14, he is the word of incarnation. So I've decided to call this series, The Word About the Word. Because the Bible, of course, we call the word of God, and it's the story of Jesus, who John calls the word. So apparently, the Bible is the word about the word. Now, the Greek term is logos, 
translated into English word. And the question is, why would John choose that term as a metaphor for Jesus' identity? Well, there's probably a couple of reasons, and we're going to think about them for just a, a couple minutes here today. One of them actually comes from Greek philosophy, and the other comes from biblical tradition. So let's start for a moment by thinking about Greek philosophy. Actually, the Greek word logos was an important concept at the time Jesus was born because it had permeated all of ancient Greek philosophy. So sometimes we get our ancient timelines a little bit mixed up. So just as a point of reference, let me remind you that the three greatest Greek philosophers, Socrates, who taught Plato, who taught Aristotle, they lived about three or four hundred years before Jesus came into the world. And so Greek philosophy had become the foundation of thought for the entire Roman Empire. So if you can picture the Mediterranean Sea from, from France all the way around to what is modern day Libya was controlled by the Roman Empire and Greek philosophy had won the day. And those three philosophers that we even know and study today were well known and studied during the time of Jesus as well. And, and they had come to a conclusion, all three of those philosophers, as they began asking big questions about the world, about creation, about the predictability of nature, it led them to believe that there had to be one cause for it all. They began to understand that there must be a prime mover and, and a single cause that created the universe. And interestingly enough, the term they chose to discover that one cause of the universe was logos, the word. Now, those Greek philosophers lived long before Jesus, and, and, and they did not have the advantage that John did because they did not have the scriptures. They did not understand about a personal God who loved them and had a plan for his world and for his people. But just from a pure philosophical standpoint, they came to understand that there must be one cause for this universe. And of all the terms they could have chosen, they called it the word. And that dovetailed so beautifully with what we know in biblical revelation. Because John not only knew that Greek philosophy, he also had the entire Old Testament at his disposal. And so when he started his gospel out, it wasn't by accident that he used the exact same words that start out the whole Bible in Genesis 1.1. It says, in the beginning. When John started his gospel, he did it the same way. He said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in that introductory statement, he packed a whole lot about the identity of Jesus. First thing we need to understand about Jesus is that he is eternal. He was the word 
in the beginning. Jesus was around from before time began. His existence did not begin like yours and mine. I, I hope I don't have to explain to you how your life started. But if you've forgotten 10th grade biology, it's about a little sperm and an egg that get together and it starts your life. Sadly, there are many in our world today who want to deny the fundamentals of biology that we all learned so long ago. From denying human life, when it begins, to believing in gender fluidity and, and uh, they're missing the reality of, of basic biology. But I digress. Uh, the point is, uh, you had a moment when your life started. Jesus did not. Jesus is eternal. John simply says he was there in the beginning. I, I know this is, this is hard to contemplate. I love having, having these conversations with kids when they, when they say to me, where did God come from? Where did Jesus come from? And, and, and I, I, I try to help them understand this amazing reality that, that God has always been. Jesus has always been. You and I, we had a beginning point. Not so with him. Long before he was born into this world, Jesus existed. John says he was there in the beginning. It's, it's mind-blowing. Jesus is eternal. John, John goes on to say that Jesus is the agent of creation. You know, when my kids were in eighth grade science... They got to that portion of the, of the curriculum where they began discussing how the world came into being. And it was always a discussion of the Big Bang Theory. And I, I, I gave my kids instruction. I said, when that comes up, all I want you to do is raise your hand and ask one simple question. Who was the Big Banger? Because that's what's at stake here and and the answer to that question actually is Jesus I mean we've already seen how Greek philosophers came to the conclusion that there must have been a, a prime mover a, a single cause that initiates everything that exists and and how they referred to that as the word and they didn't have the advantage of the biblical creation story when you couple what they thought with what the Bible tells us, it becomes even more significant. How, how did creation happen? Well, it's described beautifully in Genesis chapter 1 because the same formula is used at the beginning of each day, each new stage of the process. It always says, and God said, let there be light. And God said, let the land separate from the atmosphere. <clears throat> and God said, let the land produce vegetation. And God said, let the land produce living creatures. And, and as you go down through, it's every day the same formula. And God 
said. And when we speak, what do we use? Words. So when John said, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, uh, he was saying that when the creation was spoken, as it says in verse 2, all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that has been made. I hope you're getting the connection here. John wanted to make it clear that Jesus was the creative force spoken by God the Father bringing everything into existence. Jesus was not only there in creation, he was the active participant, the agent through which creation of the universe happened. John said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Uh, that's his way of saying that Jesus is a unique person. You know, the Greek philosophers thought about the word as some mysterious force, but the Bible clearly tells us there's no mystery to it at all. The word is Jesus. He was with God. That means God was here and Jesus was here at the same time. And of course, this has to do with the mystery of the Trinity. Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit, all distinctly different persons, and yet one in essence. And, and, and that's why if, if you're trying to figure out the Trinity, the first thing you need to grapple with is the reality of the divinity of Christ. As we've already said, he was there with a role to play. In Genesis chapter 1, he had a role to play in creation. As the gospel story plays out, we discover he has a role to play in redemption. Jesus is his own person. But John didn't stop there. He said, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. He was his own person. And then the very next phrase he says, and the Word was God. So he is with God and God at the same time. He is his own distinct person and, and one in the Trinity all at the same time. He is divine. And John wanted to make that abundantly clear. Jesus and the Father are at one and the same time two distinct persons, yet one in essence. And the reality was so important to John that he made sure to address it in the very first verse of his entire gospel. I keep emphasizing how important it is for every Christian to fully believe in both Jesus' identity and his mission. So John spends most of his gospel talking about Jesus' mission, but he starts by giving us clarity about his identity. He is God. You know, people often ask how someone who came into this world with a message of love and grace could end up on a cross surrounded by the most religious people of his day taunting him while he died. It's simply for this reason. His claim to be divine was so off-putting 
that they considered him a dangerous threat to humanity. You know, we don't challenge ourselves enough regarding Jesus' divinity. Because we've grown up in a Christian culture, a quasi-Christian culture, because many of us grew up in church, we know the story of Christmas, we know about Easter, and we just sort of shrug our shoulders and, and, and we accept Jesus' divinity without thinking about what that means, that there was a, a human being who was walking here on earth and claiming to be God, claiming to be one with the God of heaven. And sometimes I think we need to challenge ourselves a little bit more about thinking through the ramifications of, of what that means, that Jesus is divine. And at the same time, he is human. As we've already observed, John 1.14 says, the word became flesh. And every Christmas we get a chance to focus on the reality of the incarnation, that Jesus became one of us. It's what makes Christmas so important. Santa Claus and, and trees and decorations and, and presents and, and feasting, that's all ancillary stuff. We celebrate the incarnation. Jesus is God who became one of us. It's, it's the grand mystery of the ages. Jesus is at one and the same time fully divine and fully human. You know, the, the nature of Christ is the fundamental doctrine of the church and has been throughout the ages. I mean, think about the audacity of Jesus' claim. How, how would you respond to somebody in our world today who became a religious leader and started making the claim that he or she was God. What would you think about that person? Well, you'd think they were either a kook or really dangerous in their ability to lead people astray. Uh, by the way, I, I, I did a little research and discovered that in the last hundred years, there have been several dozen people around the world who have claimed to be God. Many of them have claimed to be Christ returned to earth. I mean, some of the famous ones from a few years ago, people like Sung Myung Moon, Jim Jones, David Koresh. I mean, they really were kooks. And they did lead people astray. And in the case of at least two of them, their lives ended in mass murder. Unbelievable. So when Jesus came making this audacious claim, it's no wonder that there were a lot of people in his world who, who wrote him off as a kook. And others considered him a, a maniacal, dangerous person. So when you believe that Jesus is God who became human, you're making an incredible claim. And there are a lot of people in our world who are going to think you're nuts too. 
How can this person who walked the earth 2,000 years ago and have claimed to be God, how can you believe that that's actually true? But, but the New Testament insists that believing Jesus is both God and man is essential to our faith. Throughout the centuries, there have been a lot of people who have tried to explain away the reality that Jesus was and is at the same time 100% human and 100% divine. Now, if you have a mathematical mind, I've just challenged you. Because we're pretty sure that 100% plus 100% doesn't equal one. But that's the spiritual reality that the scriptures claim. And it's the foundation of what we believe. And it seems that lots of people have tried to explain it away in one way or another. Uh, actually, these have come to be known as, as heresies uh, because uh, they are recycled through the centuries where lots of people try to explain it away. So there are some people who get over-focused on the fact that Jesus is divine and other people get over-focused on the fact that Jesus is uh, human and they miss the genius that he is both human and divine all at the same time. So people who say Jesus wasn't human, um, they often use this tact. They, they say he wasn't human, he just appeared that way. Uh, by, by the way, originally, this was called docetism. And the theory was that, that Jesus wasn't really human. He was God stuffed into a human shell. If you're a Captain Marvel fan, he was a sort of a divine scroll, a shapeshifter who morphed into human form so that we would think he was human. And this theory keeps Jesus 100% God, but it denies the fact that he was fully human like you and me. And there are still a lot of people who want to think about Jesus that way because they, they can't come to the conclusion that he could be both and. And so they choose that he was God who was kind of in disguise as a human being. It's an inadequate understanding of Jesus. Then there are a lot of other people who accentuate Jesus' humanity. And, and they have a tendency to say that Jesus wasn't God. He was just the Son of God. He was like you and me, but he rose to a higher level of enlightenment and, and, and understood divine things more than you and I do. Originally, this was called Arianism. And this theory keeps Jesus 100% human, but ultimately denies his divinity, especially his eternity. And this is the most prevalent theory of our time. People want to think of Jesus as a great moral teacher, as a person whose words we should admire and emulate, ultimately a martyr for a cause. But God... Come on. You don't really believe that, 
Do you? You know, if, if, if Jesus is not God, then everything we believe unravels like a cheap, ugly Christmas sweater. It's gone. So there are some people who say, well, Jesus is really God stuffed in a human shell. And then there are others who say, well, Jesus was really human who grew into becoming divine. And both of them are terribly inadequate. And then there's actually another theory that's quite prevalent called modalism. And it simply is that God interacts with us in different ways at different times. So during the Old Testament period, he, he interacted with us as our Father. And then when the New Testament era came along, he came into the world and interacted with us as the Son. And then after Jesus ascended, he interacts with us as the Holy Spirit. So there's not really a trinity, it's just one God who has a different way of relating to us at different times. At best, that's a misrepresentation of the Bible. At worst, it's like accusing God of having multiple personalities. It's a convenient way of explaining the Trinity, but it misses the genius of who Jesus is. His identity is not fully understood in that context because Jesus has association with the Father as a distinct person while claiming to be one with the Father at the same time. And every time we begin talking about the Trinity, my head starts to ache just a little bit. Because it's a concept that goes beyond logic. But it becomes the foundation of our faith. And, and when, when John wanted to begin to explain who Jesus is, first thing he said is, the word, this eternal creator of the universe, became flesh, became one of us. He is at one and the same time both fully human and fully divine. It's the essence of what we believe about the identity of Christ. And so as we move into this Christmas season, we have to start with that amazing reality. And I know it's challenging. It's challenging because the more logically you like to think, the harder it is for you to make sense of this. And that's why faith becomes so important in this entire discussion. This is what we believe. This is who Jesus is. And if we miss this, then all of the rest of the gospel begins to fall apart. So let's start here. We serve an amazing God. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The Word became flesh. Wow. Lord, we, 
We have so much to celebrate as we come to this time of year because we are we're reminded of the wonder of the incarnation. We know you made audacious claims about your identity. And we want you to know that we believe that what you said is true. We may not fully understand it, but we believe. And as we continue to build toward our grand celebration of the incarnation yet again this year, I pray that you will speak truth and grace into our hearts. And we thank you for who you are. And we respond by giving ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.